Welcome to the Level Up Podcast, brought to you by Century 21, the Harrelson Group, featuring masterminds with real estate leaders, coaches, and influencers, plus eye-opening strategy sessions with up-and-coming agents. You'll learn exactly how to go from agent to entrepreneur. And now, let's get to the latest episode of Level Up. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Level Up Podcast. We're learning how to go from agent to entrepreneur. We've got a phenomenal guest and a phenomenal conversation for you today. Uh, Greg is back, as always. We've got Noah Ostroff here. He is a brokerage owner, team leader, wealth builder, and that's exactly what we're talking about today is how to go from top producer a true wealth builder and what it takes to go in, in Noah's case from selling well over a hundred homes a year by himself and then having a team as well into now where he's in a position to spend more of his time running a brokerage, uh, doing some, you know, recruiting, talking to agents and mostly focusing on deal making and, and building things that are going to put wealth into, uh, into his life for the next, you know, several decades. Let's put it that way. So we've got a bunch of stuff as always to dive into. First of all, Greg Harrelson, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Excited to uh, kind of meet up again and chat with Noah and uh, continue a conversation. I think we started in uh, uh, in, in Austin maybe a couple months ago. So That's right. it's just going to be a continuation to a fun conversation. We'll just let other people eavesdrop on us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Noah, officially welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So give us a little bit of background, especially for those that might not know you, because obviously you're, you're, you're big in the KW world, you're big on the, on the East Coast. Um, for anyone that's not kind of plugged into those worlds, they might not know the business that you've built. What does the business look like right now? So the way the business looks right now is I uh, still have a sales team called Philly Living, and that team has about 30 agents on it, plus a support staff. Uh, right now, we're mainly focused on Philadelphia and the, the surrounding areas of Philadelphia. Uh, we also have a brokerage called Keller Williams Philly, KW Philly, which we started about two years ago. So that brokerage started from scratch. We're up to about 325 agents now. Um, and that brokerage, you know, doing, doing very well, doing things differently than everybody else. We really tried to reinvent the culture of what a brokerage should look like, especially in Philadelphia. So that brokerage is selling, you know, over 3,000 homes a year. Um, very focused on training and education for our agents and really bringing in uh, the right people. Uh, then in addition to that, we have uh, a lot of stuff that I'm focused on, which is around wealth building, around investing, around new construction, um, and owning other additional businesses and additional streams of income, uh, mainly passive, hopefully mainly uh, growing them to be passive streams of income as well. So that's kind of the different tiers of my focus right now at the moment. Cool. That's awesome. I did not realize it was selling over 3,000 homes a year for the brokerage, which is an insane number. That is awesome. Um, lot, man, yeah. congratulations. Well, I want to go back a little bit because there's a very interesting kind of period of time that you went through on the, on the journey to get where you're at. And then there's a lot of agents that are chasing you or want some, some measure, like they, they want to get uh, further than where they're at right now. And they're kind of in the same position that you were. So take me back to when you were doing triple digit home sales a year and how the transition started to go to get where you're at now. Yeah, I would just say the, the one thing from the outside, I'm not necessarily playing the same game that everybody else is playing in the real estate world. From the outside, it may look like, you know, I'm competing to see who can sell the most amount of homes or who can take the most listings. I'm not necessarily playing that game anymore. Um, that's one piece of my wealth building strategy, but it's a, it's a bigger strategy, which I'll talk a little bit about today. But um, back when I got in the business, in the sales part of the business, about 2008, 
Um, you know, the market wasn't really great. So we had to learn the right things to do. We had to learn to get on the phone and lead generate and, and knock on doors and, and be really aggressive with our uh, business development and lead generation strategy. But I feel like I learned the right way. I got into the business, in my opinion, at the right time. Um, I didn't learn bad habits. And it was exciting for me. You know, we did a deal and, and it was exciting. And I liked the, the, the action of the negotiations and running around to meet clients. And I was very, very busy. And I really, I really enjoyed that. And I got to the point where I was working with a lot of the builders in the city. I was working with a lot of the um, listings in the city to the point where I was personally selling about 150 houses a year. Um, and, at, and at that time, I think my team was maybe selling 250 houses a year, some, something like that. I was doing the majority of the business. Um, and the, the way that I focused on the business was everybody else was going after a listing. And I thought to myself, all right, well, if you want to get the most bang for your buck and be the most efficient in a uh, in this you know game that we we're all playing was instead of going after a listing, how do I go after multiple listings? Well, what is a listing? A listing is a house. Well, who makes the house? The builder makes the house, right? So I said, all right, let me focus on the people that are making the inventory, which are the builders. So I would focus on the builders because I figured if I could go after a builder who was building 10 houses, I could work with one client that was doing 10 houses instead of 10 clients that were doing one house each. So trying to be more efficient with my time because I knew if I wanted to scale this and grow it bigger and get to the point where I wanted to be at, I had to be as efficient as possible. So it was very exciting to me in the early years of my of my sales career. Then, you know, as things progressed, we grew a team. There's a lot of management responsibilities around uh, running a team, operations and marketing. You know, typically in, in the real estate industry, the, the linear path of an agent is you're an agent, you become a good agent, you become a, a top producing agent, and you maybe have more leads than you can handle or whatever it is. And the natural next progression in our business is to become a, a business owner or what we call it is a team, right? To form a team. And not, it's not, not, so to form a team, you have to be a business owner and additional responsibilities come when you're a business owner. You have to oversee a staff, you have to have management skills, you have to oversee marketing and operations and lead generation, and you have to be able to provide enough business, enough leads for the people on your team and provide enough support and value to the people on the team. And that, of course, pulls away from your uh, ability to have time to focus on on only sales, right? So I got to that point at some point, probably around 2012, I got to that point where I was spending a lot of time managing uh, people and, and trying to help them grow their business and train, which I enjoyed doing, um, but it took a little bit away from my sales business. I think I had 10 agents at, at that time. Um, and I was still 100% in sales, so trying to do both at the same time. So I made the decision at that point to hire a, what at the time was going to be a manager, a sales manager for my team. Uh, that person ended up growing into being the COO and CEO of my team uh, currently. But at that time, it was a sales manager just to manage the, the salespeople on the team and help them grow their businesses and sort of take a little bit of that off my plate to provide that first leverage point in my business. So getting back into, into sales, um, then, you know, fast forward a, a year or so, and then a lot of the, a lot of technology was, was coming out, you know, around that time, within a couple of years of that time. So as I said in the beginning, the excitement for me back then was um, negotiating a deal and picking up the phone and talking to agents. And you had your strategies around negotiations, and that was exciting and fun for me. Um, then as technology rolled around, 
Um, and it wa- I wasn't competing as much on listings because in the beginning, uh, when you go on listings, you know, you don't know if you're going to get it. You make a good presentation and that excitement of getting a listing is, is there. But as I started to get better, um, and started to build a little bit more of a name for myself. I would get the majority of the listings that I would go on. So I, it wasn't as much excitement built around that, right? I was just sort of collecting listings, if you will. Um, and then the negotiations changed a little bit with technology and agents started to email offers and then they were texting the negotiations, um, never really picking up the phone. I mean, I remember the first time I did a full transaction with an agent all through text messaging. We, we thought it was great at the time. And we thought it was the funniest thing. Like we didn't even talk on the phone one time. It was all through text messaging. Wow. But over time, you know, and then with the clients, you know, I used to have, you know, we get an offer come in and I would meet the client at their house or they would come to my office and I would go through page by page, line by line of the offer with the, the client. And I would have my jokes inserted at certain times, you know, that, that I was, it was like a script. It was, it was honestly, it was a script. And then, you know, with, with DocuSign and DotLoop and other, other of those programs like that went away. You know, we would just send the agreement out and just say, hey, sign this. And the clients would click, 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 click. And in two seconds, they would sign it. And it made for a very efficient way to do business. I'm not complaining about that because it allowed us to do a lot more business. But what it did for me is it, I lost some of the excitement of why I loved being in real estate and selling houses. And I felt a little bit like a paper pusher, more on an ad administrative side than I did as a as a sales agent. So I started to, over time, lose the excitement of what it felt like to me to be a sales agent. Mm. Okay. Lot to dig into. Greg, yeah. I know we want to talk a little bit about the builder and that 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 first kind of mental shift uh, in terms of getting away from just listings to going after builders and things like that. So I'd love to start there, I think. But I'm sure you have other yeah. thoughts. Well, I, I think, you know, we'll get to the, the top producer to wealth builder, but let's go from top producer to um, even uh, a more of a top producer. In other words, you know, the transition from, you know, going and saying instead of taking one listing at a time, you know, I'm going to take 10 listings at a time. And now that I'm taking 10 listings at a time, how do I do that? You know, or how do I go to the next level? I mean, all this is a progression. On We're on path to like eventually creating wealth for ourselves. But for those that are in the audience, you know, there a lot of them are still at the stage of like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm like taking 10 listings a month, five listings a month or some variation of that versus I'm taking 25 listings in a month. So maybe speak to that a little bit, Noah. It's like when you were there having a great listing business, but that light went on in your mind and says, I've got to do it this way. What are some things that you had to do to transition, whether it be mentally, like what are, what are the thoughts that had to shift? And then what were some of the activities that had to shift to put you in position to now start doing it in bulk? So I remember that early on when I first got into the business, I, I said to myself, how do I become a top producer, right? And I would look around the city and, you know, the old saying back then, I guess it still is, is, you know, control the listings. Uh, I actually forget what the saying is. Like control the listings, control the control the market, I think was what the saying was. And I looked around at all the top producers and all the top producers had, had the listings, right? And you rarely see what we would consider a top producer that only focuses on buyer side business. It, it happens, but it's rare. Most of the top producers are listing agents. Another important factor for me was having a good work-life balance. When I first got in the business, in, in, in the sales part of the business in 2008, I had um, young kids, and I wanted to make sure that I had time home with them. My goal was 
to be home at six o'clock or so, six o'clock every night to be home for dinner. I, I didn't want to work on the weekends. I wanted to spend time with my family on the weekends. It was important for me to have that work-life balance. And the only way for me to be able to do that, that I saw was to focus on listing because listings, you control your schedule a lot more. You could really run a listing side business more like a so-called nine to five job. I and mean, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, on the buyer side of the business, you don't have as much control over your schedule because buyers typically want to see properties when they're off work, which is usually at nights or on the weekends. Um, you can control that somewhat, but the majority of the time you're going to have to work uh, not normal hours. And that didn't really work so well with what I was trying to accomplish with the work-life balance aspect. So I did work with buyers, don't get me wrong, but I really focused on listings and I positioned myself to become known as a listing agent. So when people thought about listings, I wanted them to think about me. So because I focused on it, that's why that part of the business ended up growing. And every day I lead generated, um, my goal for that day was to sell a house. Every day I would come into work as if I were unemployed and my job was to get hired that day. And I would come in the way I would do it is I would find a property. Well, I I did it multiple different ways. So I would find a property on the MLS or even off market that I thought was just like a hot property that somebody would want to buy. And I spent the first four hours of my day trying to sell that property, whether it was my listing or somebody else's listing, I would try to sell it. And I would make calls to investors, to buyers, depending on who I was working with and really trying to push that. And through those conversations that I was having with people, Of course, on the phone, when you're trying to get somebody to buy stuff, you have to ask them the question, hey, do you have something that you want to sell as well? So a lot of times I was having those conversations with something I was trying to actually sell and find a buyer for. And and what would happen is I would find listings for it. And people say, well, I have to sell this property. And then through those more conversations, now I had this inventory and this thing to sell. And now I was was basically becoming a matchmaker, right? Because the more calls that you make and the more people you speak to, the more people that I was trying to match up buyers and sellers together. And I really started building the business like that. Then I realized um, probably around two years into my career, right, maybe around 2010 or 2009, maybe, um, I took a listing in a not so great neighborhood and it was a shell. And it was like a $40,000 listing or something like that. I didn't even want to take the listing. I was like afraid to go to the neighborhood. It wasn't a very good neighborhood. And I, and I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take this listing. And I took it and I got maybe 30 or 40 phone calls from investors and builders that wanted to buy this thing. And I literally, I sold it in like a day. And they, all these guys were saying, hey, well, do you have anything else in this area? And I said, well, what is it that you're looking to buy? And so I found out what they're looking to buy. And I said, all right, well, I, yeah, I definitely have that stuff. And I didn't have that inventory at the time, but I said, yeah, yeah, I definitely have that, that stuff. So what I did was I knew what they were looking for. They were all pretty much looking for the same thing in the same area. So I spent the next two weeks walking and driving around this part of the neighborhood and writing down all the vacant lots and all the shells in that neighborhood that people could develop properties on. These were investors that were calling me, builders. So I made a list of about 200 names or 200 addresses. And then I went back to the office and with my assistants, I had them uh, we wrote down the lot sizes, the zoning, and the, the contact information of the owners. And I spent the next two weeks making phone calls. Hey, do you, hey, I have uh, somebody that's interested in buying your your lot. Would you consider selling it? And you know, half the people said no, um, and some people said, yeah, I would sell it. Make me an offer. So we ended up making making offers to a lot of people, and I ended up selling that year uh, fifty houses just from this one thing, just from this two week of uh, 
calls. It took more than two weeks to sell the 50 houses, but um, I sold 50 houses that year. And then what happened was the next year, you know, so then I started getting involved in the building process with them and helping them put together a house that I thought, you know, consumers would want to buy and with finishes that people would want to buy and helping them put together the right project. And then the following year, those 50 lots became 50 new construction houses that I sold. So then people started coming to me saying, all right, well, you're the guy that has the inventory. You're the guy that has the lots or the shelves or the stuff that people want. So they were starting to refer their friends to me and the business started cycling around. And I ended up selling a lot of that stuff over the course of the year and was able to build a business with builders. That wasn't, that wasn't my whole business, but I was able to build a big business around builders and working with builders and then new construction. And then, you know, my background before I got into sales was, was in new construction, working with a new construction builder. So helping them put together the marketing and the package and really just doing things differently for them and helping them understand what it takes to build a project and sell it and, and, and market it properly. So I built a pretty good business off of that <clears throat> and then ended up all the builders ended up seeing that I had all the new construction listings. So then all the people that were listing new construction wanted to call me and said, hey, I hear you're, you know, you're the guy to talk to about new construction. And then they would call me as well. And then, you know, it's real estate is like a snowball effect. I always say like, the more you get of something, the bigger it gets. That's the way it works with referrals and, and everything. So I started to be known as, you know, a new construction agent, even though that wasn't, that was only probably 25% of my business. But the appearance was that that's a lot of the stuff that I did. So I ended up representing a lot of new construction projects in Philadelphia. Now in Philadelphia, you know, let me, let me ask you something. Yeah. No, and I and remember where you are. Can I, I just want to, Remember, how did you get the first listing of that one? You call it a shell. So I'm imagining that's a teardown. I've never heard of tear that down, term. Yeah, okay, down. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I put that together. A shell, I was, a shell of the house. A shell I was thinking a turtle <laughs> shell. I was like, what? What, what is this shell? <laughs> yeah, tear, how tear did you down. get that tear first down is a better listing? Term. How, how did you get that first listing? You know, I don't remember, but I okay. think it was probably around making phone calls. I'm okay, sure so that's I, what I, it was. Oh, you know how? You know what it was? Yes, I ahead. think it was. Um, I I saw they were working on it, uh, or as a shell, and I. You no, know, I don't remember actually. That, that's I don't remember. <laughs> well, here's I'm going to make an assumption, and if it's wrong, feel feel free to tell me that's wrong. You did some sort of outbound act prospecting activity. Correct. If that person didn't just knock on your door from a flyer. It didn't come from a Zillow lead. It didn't come from a Realtor.com lead. It didn't come from a Facebook ad. It didn't come from that or, or any other paid service. It came from you getting out of your office and doing something or off your butt and doing something. And then you got a listing. And then you got a listing and you got buyer calls and figured out if I get off my butt and make some more outbound calls, then it's going to lead to more sales which then led to more listings, which then led to more this. I, what I want to take from this is that one thing, I mean, I'm enjoying everything you're saying, but man, I cannot let it go that this all originated from an outbound lead generation tactic. It called Continue. old school, right? But 10 yeah. years later, it still works. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just think that that's, yeah. a, that's a point. Like, you know, you want to go from top producer to wealth builder. Well, like I'm starting to get now because I've, you know, gotten to know you 
more in the wealth building side, not know you during the times where you're trying to, you know, where you're grinding and becoming like nobody to somebody. But it's it's pretty obvious that you became you went from not much to more by working, actually getting in there and making some prospecting outbound either whether it be calls, whether it be knocking on doors, however you are doing it, outbound is outbound. It's pretty clearly not inbound. So, you know, wealth building starts with activities even er in the early years because once you develop those activities when you're not much and then you become top producer on developing those activities, it's those activities or variations of those activities, it's just those disciplines that I think carry over in each different phase or stage of your career, even I bet you could say that it even helps you build wealth today in whatever in, in whichever ways you're doing it. So again, 100%. That's how I learned the business because I didn't know any other way. I thought everybody was doing that. I come to find out that that wasn't the case. Um, not everybody was doing that, but that's how I learned the business. That's how you had to do it. And I got in the, the time I got in the business within a year or two, like the market started going like this and it hasn't really started coming down. until you know, maybe, maybe this year it will start coming down, but pretty much since I've been in the business, the market's been going up. And as agents entered the business over the last 10 years, it become, it, it became, I don't want to say it, it, they didn't have to lead generate because you always have to, but it became slightly less important because the business was, was just there and it was easier to get the business. So now I think agents are going to see potentially as the market starts to starts to correct itself over the next this year or next year, whenever it is, that lead generation is going to become even more important than it's ever been. Not that it's never been important, but even more important than it than it's ever been. Yeah. And one thing that I was that I was getting to be, before was with all this new construction and all these listings, I got leads out of it, right? And when you have leads, you have Leads are leads being buyers and, and sellers also that helped me to be able to build the team. So I always tried to grow the business based around lead generation and marketing, but lead generation, because I thought nobody ever went out of business from having too many leads. Right. So that's I just wanted to focus on that. So early on, again, back to you know, going back again to the early part of the story. The, the, the big lead generation that I was trying to do, and you know, anything you do with marketing, you probably get six to nine months out of it before somebody else starts to copy off of it and then it, or, and then it becomes ineffective anymore. So the key around marketing is trying to do something different than what everybody else is doing. So it's, it's, it's more effective. So back in 2009, I want to say, um, Philly Living was the only, that's our website, phillyliving.com. That was the, believe it or not, for the younger uh, agents on, on that are listening to this, uh, that was the only website in Philadelphia, or one of the only websites in Philadelphia that had IDX search on it, meaning we showed listings from the MLS. Now, every website everywhere has that right now, but back then, only a couple websites actually had that. So the value proposition for a buyer back then was, hey, come to my website, and you can look at all the properties that are available on the market. That's what buyers wanted to see back then. And I was the one that had it. So we were getting about a thousand visitors a day to our website. Naturally, we didn't pay for it. There was no Facebook back then, or there was no Facebook ads back then. We didn't do any Google ads. This was all natural optimization through search engine optimization. And we were getting about 300 leads a month right from our website with no forced registration, no paid advertising, just people just naturally going. We literally came up the number one 
uh, and pretty much every real estate related keyword in Philadelphia that you could want to search for, we came up number one naturally and, or- and organically. And that was a huge driver for us for lead generation for years. And these were like golden leads. These are 300 people a month that were saying, hey, I want to go see this property or hey, I want an agent to contact me. None of that forced registration like we have now. And, you know, that, you know, we got a couple years out of that, luckily, but then, you know, Google changed their algorithm and it, it became, you know, very difficult to track actually how well you were doing in search engine optimization. And it became very expensive and you started having to, to pay for paid advertisement. It just became way too expensive to keep up and try to stay at the top of the rank. So, you know, that, that part of our business strategy started to change a little bit, but it was always based around lead generation. Yeah. Yeah, good things happen when you get the fundamentals right, because then you can take advantage. I mean, Greg, it goes back to kind of what you're saying. Those key activities, the same things that are now underpinning, you know, your wealth building efforts now, the thing are the same things that kind of laid the foundation. So that when something comes along like that, an unexpected marketing tactic that kind of takes off and all of a sudden dumps a lot of exposure and visibility on you, you have those key skills in place. That the more conversations you have, they're not wasted. They just go right into the skill set you already had. Um, and then, of course, you, then you pass that on to your agents, and then that starts to happen at scale. Yeah, see, he went immediately. He like he he made a sale. He got that listing of the shell. He sold. He he got all kinds of calls. But when he he was very keen, you were very good at identifying what your next move was to to be, which is like, oh, I get it. Oh, I know what to do here. I just got to go get all the telephone numbers for all these lots to start making calls. Like so, because always, that discipline was already there, it was easy to capitalize and take advantage of the next opportunity. Because the process of taking advantage of the opportunity he already had. Yeah, yeah. He had I the foundation. Wor- I wasn't using this word back then, but what, what what really what it is is leverage, right? I had an opportunity to for for all these people that wanted a certain type of product. So I said, all right, how do I leverage this opportunity to sell more houses? So that's what we did. And that's what getting listings was. We said, all right, how do I leverage a listing to get more leads out of it or get more listings out of it? Right? Every, every stage of what we're going to hopefully talk about today is geared around leverage and the conversation around leverage in different aspects of our career. When people think about the term leverage, they're always thinking about people and around teams and all that stuff. But leverage is more than that. It's about taking advantage of opportunity to give you the most, you know, ability to move in in one direction. I'm sure that's not the Webster's definition of it, but you get the point. (laughs) Yeah. So before we move on to wealth, because I know we've got to get to it, what uh, can you give the audience, you know, a a tip or something like for those that are wanting to go from just, you know, good business to top producer or build a team? What are what's one or a few things that you could say, avoid this or do this? could be mental. You know, I'm not sure yep. if it's a mental yep. shift, if yep. it's a task a lot, or whatnot. You know, I, I, I've come to see a lot as, as teams become more of a, of, a, of a thing now than they've been in the last, you know, handful of years. I think people feel like the natural progression of their real estate career is that they have to form a team. And I don't think that's always the case. People mm-hmm. don't always have to form a team. You know, sometimes you could just focus on what you're good at. You don't have to be all things to all people. And if you like being a, a real estate agent and you get excitement out of it, you just focus on that. You don't have to go to – it's not necessarily the next level to grow a team, but you don't don't feel like you have to get 
to, you know, you're, you're a great real estate agent. Now I have to go out and hire all these people and all these agents and have this big staff and expenses and all that stuff. Just, just stick to what you're good at. Understand what you like, right? If you like being a real estate agent and going on listing appointments and working with buyers, then do that. If you want to, if you don't like doing that and you want to, you know, run a team and be more of a, uh, man in a, you know, management capacity, or if you will, or more of a leadership capacity, then, then do that. Right. But the, the key is do what you want. Don't do what you think you have to do because you see what everybody else is doing. Don't try to be all things to all people. Um, so that would be the, the, probably the biggest thing. And we talked about lead generation, right? Focus on business development and lead generation every single day. There's nothing more important than that. Like really, that's really the, if I had to give one tip, like that's really all that we really need to talk about. <laughs> um, right. And like that's, yeah. that's really all that everybody has to do. And, but that's too boring. Um, it is boring. Yeah, That's we really need something more exciting. Even it. if it doesn't work, can you please make make it make it seem shinier? Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> control me, Matt. Control me. <laughs> I'm just I'm cracking up over here because like even even if it doesn't work, tell me something more exciting than that. Well, here here's what I just a, a quick thing on that. Um, I think one of the things that people struggle with, especially with the assignment to do something daily for business development, is they think it has to be huge. And if they're not doing it for four hours, they might as well not do it at all. Do you have agents doing this porpoising thing between doing it? They'll, they'll dive in, they'll do it can, you know, consistently for a little while then because they can't keep up the pace. So they start to take on more clients and kind of know, like you did, you, you get this big opportunity to service more clients. And then all of a sudden, where's lead gen go? Well, it's not. So we have to be able to learn how to like modulate it and kind of dial it back, but still do something consistently every day. Dan Kennedy said years ago, he said, if there's one thing I've done for my business is that I send w at least one outgoing connection or contact that I think is going to generate me new business, which is, yeah. you know, now yeah. in the world of real estate where 99 out of 100 people aren't doing anything right now, the numbers are a little bit different. But uh, but in the world of consulting and deal making and wealth building and stuff like that, sometimes that's enough. Just mm -hmm. one reach out a day to the right person, well-researched. Um, you know, strategic relationships. I mean, no, that's kind of, uh, that's one of the, the shifts I think that we might want to talk about in the last few minutes we have is one of the things I think that's fascinating about your story is that you've consistently let it's the prospecting process or the lead generation process is very similar, but you, you, the nature of the relationships you're hunting for keep going up and up mm -hmm. and up and up, right? So first it was home sellers, then it was builders, then it was agents. Now, then it was, you know, investors. Then now it's, now it's, you know, multifamily investors, real estate, you know, development deal makers and people who could put hard money into loans and development deals and, and all this stuff. So you're still developing relationships. You're still generating leads per se. They're just not homeowner leads, but you're still doing the same kind of, you're, you're hunting for relationships essentially. I think that's one of the key shifts of just going from an agent to an entrepreneur is understanding that part of it that you're still hunting every day. It's just the relationships you're hunting for a little bit different. The concept is exactly the same. You're lead generating for something. So when you're, when you're an agent, you're lead generating for listings. If for me, I, I, I thought about, all right, well, if the next level up from that is lead generating for builders who have listings, right? And then the next level up from that, not necessarily a level up, but you understand what I'm saying? Like for yeah. me, the next progression for me was lead generating for agents that have the builders that have the listings, right? So that was the team concept. And then the next level up, the progression from that is on the brokerage level. So now we have the brokerage was 
lead generating for, for talent, lead generating for people that have, again, the, the, the listings and have the deal. So it, it's still lead generating, but it's lead generating around people and around talent versus for, for listings. And then I guess theoretically the next level up from that, which, you know, on the brokerage level would be lead generating for brokerages that have agents that have listings that have, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the, 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 the world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. It's, no, yeah exactly. <laughs> but it's all, but it's all hunting for people and hunting for, uh, for relationships. Yeah, it's right. all the same thing. We're just focused on different, different things. Yeah. I think another thing task. that I'm, I'm hearing from, you Noah too, that just kind of, I, I, I got some little drawings going on on all my pieces of paper here, but <laughs> can we see? Yeah, yeah, we can. can we see it? I don't think you can read it, but uh, <laughs> got all kinds of all from this conversation too. Scribbles. It's cool. I, like if you look at this table, there's all these notes from all these podcasts that I just got all around here. One day I'll look at them and and, and maybe we'll show them that. Um, but the it sounds like Noah that the quantity of your contacts went down. But as the quantity of your contacts went down, the quality of your contacts went up significantly. So like if you're day one and you're new to the business and you're sitting here, I just got to go prospect everybody in the world to try to get an A listing, then you're going to be high quantity, probably low quality in the type of people you're calling. Well, then you kept like leveling up the quality of who you are calling. You went to now I'm going to call a builder. And so you probably had less of them to call, but the upside of what could occur with a successful call was much higher. So I'm going to call that a quality, uh, a, a quality contact. So then you go to now I need the agents who have builders. There's even less of them, but now higher quality. Then I'm going to go to um, brokerages that have agents that have builders that have this and this and this. You notice kind of neat that as your quantity went down, your quality went up. Now, that that's huge, I think, for people to take a note of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely true on the on the. Uh, center of influence relationship type stuff, which I think you, that's you're right. You hit it right on the nail, right on the head. The funny thing is the opposite was the case on the, the colder leads, the website leads, right? In the beginning, it was, um, you know, much easier. And then as time went on, everybody was doing it. You had to contact so many more people to get one good lead from, from the cold calling and the website and the internet leads. Yeah, it's funny how the two opposites like worked in opposite directions. Yeah. Um, I got. Yeah, one more thing that I wrote down that I, I think that I kind of went through that I share with uh, with no, it's different, but it's, I think, similar. And that is for the agent out there that's not thinking I'm going to shift and start working builders or I'm going to start prospecting and building a team. You know, how can you what is one way you could be in your local market right now and you could actually apply this principle, which is um, get more listings in less time. That's kind of what we're talking about. Let's do more in the same amount of time or less time. So inside of the context of that thought, then this is why I went after absentee owners in my market so aggressively. I had a, a, um, a financial advisor that told me one time, and I tell you, I love this statement. He said to me, you don't make money looking through a windshield. Very good point. Don't make money. So, so the list and presentation that takes an hour, but takes 30 minutes to get there and 30 minutes to get back, 
um, then that's a two hour presentation, but I'm only earning income. You know, if I could eliminate the one hour around that I'm actually looking in a windshield and turn that into more income um, generating activities, that would be a way to get a lot more out of the same time. So I'm leveraging cutting out the downtime. So for somebody that wants to know, how could I do that right now and take some of these principles that uh, Noah is sharing with us, why don't you have a segment of your, of, of, of your generation time going after absentee owners because those are the presentations you do over the phone and you don't have so to spend time looking through a windshield and not making any money. So do you think everybody knows what absentee owners are? Do you want to? No, why don't you say, why don't, why don't you share that? But I'm glad you, I'm glad you, that's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, absentee owners would be somebody that has a different mailing address than the address of the property. I mean, they don't live in the house. They, they live somewhere else. So probably it's an investment property for them or a second home for them. Yeah. Right. Is that what your definition is? Yeah, it's somebody that they're, uh, this is not their primary residence. So yes. So one of the things to really leverage the concept of you don't look through a windshield is identifying in your market the absentee owners that don't live in the same market. So if it's a, in, 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 if you're, if you're in Miami and you're dealing with absentee owners because there's so many condos, well then, you know, spend a certain period of your time going after the condo owners that live in New Jersey. Because they're not going to fly here for a listing presentation. Yeah. The presentation is going to be nothing more than a pricing presentation over the phone. Mm -hmm. So the presentation will not only is there no driving, but then there the presentation goes from, say, 45 minutes. Well, most people are probably two and a half hours in a presentation. Um, so most, you know, we'll say the a one hour presentation goes down to a 15 minute presentation. Talking about leverage. Yeah, that costs no money. That. No money just takes a little shift in setting yourself up to go after, identify those property owners in your local market. And it doesn't matter if you're in a resort market or if you're in any market across the country, you look in your um, tax records, you can identify who the absentee owners are. I love that. It's a great one. So, so a little mental exercise, and then we might have to shut that down. So, no, with the stuff that you're doing right now and the deals that you're looking to do, the things that are going to build wealth for the future – who who are those relationships right now? Who are those types of people, the profiles of people that make the biggest difference in your future wealth? So there's different aspects of, of that question that I can answer. So my my wealth building strategy is, well, first of all, let me just say what my definition of wealth is. What My definition of wealth is having $1 more of passive income than in personal expenses. Right. At least one dollar more. Right. Because then your 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 life is funded um, by your passive income. All your expenses are, are funded by your passive income. So. I build that through three different tiers. Right. So I want to explain this because I don't want people to think they could just jump to this last one without maybe having something in between. So for me, the the job, if you will, is the sales, the real estate sales business and the brokerage business. That's the the, the job, if you will. Right. So the money that comes in from that gets rolled into new construction. So I build new construction as well. Um, so I, I'll build new construction and then of course my sales team will list it and then we'll, and potentially we get leads from it. And then we, I sell that new construction. So the money I get uh, from that, this is my, my new construction building. Um, the money I get from that, I roll into the longer term holds, which is like the rental properties 
and the wealth building stuff. So the rental properties and the investments in other businesses, <clears throat> other passive income. So then I'll, I'll take the money from the new construction stuff and then I will build, uh, I also build new construction, multifamily units or mixed use places that I'll keep and hold in my portfolio that I'll rent out and collect passive income every month coming in from that. So that's me building my, my, my business of the future, right? That doesn't happen overnight. So every yeah. year the, the tactic is, increase my my passive income by x amount of dollars right so in 10 years i have this much passive income in 15 years i have more and more so every year you're building for that future business so that if you wanted to have that and, and why am i doing it so i can have freedom financial freedom and just freedom in general to do what i want to be able to open other businesses and invest in other stuff or, or take vacation with my family if i if i want to do that type of stuff too so that's the end game for what i'm trying to do and I do that through investing in other businesses and through rental properties. And, you know, with the rental properties and with the new construction stuff, there's obviously a big lead generation component to that as well, because I have to find deals. So how do you find deals? Same way you find deals for clients, you find deals for yourself. And it's actually a better way to do it, because if I'm lead generating for myself, uh, if I'm lead generating for myself, if I don't want to find a deal, I can always sell it to a client or give it to an agent on my team. So in theory, I'm, I'm lead generating for all of those businesses all at the same time, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Just yeah. so like, when yeah. did you start thinking about wealth in that way where you started setting goals and saying, okay, I need to increase my passive income by whatever number blank. How long have you been thinking like that? I started thinking about it on a more strategic level, probably in the last like three years. It okay. wasn't that long. And, and I always, in, I, I did invest in stuff starting like 2004, but those are my bad investments that, that I lost money <laughs> on. Now that I understand actually how to invest and understand the, the concept of, of cap rates and like actually like analyzing the stuff the right way. So I spent a lot of time studying, you know, looking at people that were, that were doing it better than me and really learning from them and just grilling them with a ton and ton of questions. And once I felt like I had a good handle on it, then I started doing it myself. Yeah. And, and it really so, was only like a few years ago, three, four years ago. Yeah. So if we're looking into the future and I'm not, I don't really care about what your number is for wealth. Cause that's a personal subjective. Everyone can have a different number. Right. But like how many years into the future do you vision it's going to take before you hit whatever goal you have in your mind? And that may change next year, right? Because we always change our goals. But right now, like, what? How much time ahead? How much more longer before you think you're actually hit the goal that you're you're targeting right now? So to answer that was a question I asked myself. And to answer that question, I had to understand what my baseline was. And when I say baseline, I had to understand what my expenses were to fund my life. Because if I yeah. said I'll just make up a number, if I said I wanted to make fifty thousand dollars a year. And then I found out that my expenses were $100,000 a year. Well, that doesn't really, that doesn't really solve my, my goal. So I had to get a baseline and figure out what my actual expenses are. Then I'm like, all right, now I know what my expenses are. Now I know like the very minimum of what I need to hit. But the way I did it is I said, all right, where do I want to be in 10 years? And why did I pick 10 years? Because in 10 years, uh, my kids will be in college or out of college at that point. And I said, that's, that's what I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick in 10 years, how much income do I want to have? All right, great. So that means that. I need to divide that number by 10 and every year I need to be increasing my passive income by that amount. And then I said, all right, well, how do I do that? How much income do I need from each property? And how much cash am I gonna need as a down payment to buy those properties to get that much cash flow from each one of the properties? 
And then I started putting together the plan of, of doing it. Because a lot of people go into this saying, I want to own X number of units. I want to own 10 units, 20 units. It's not about the units. It's about the, pa- the, the, the income yeah. that comes in, the passive income, the net income that comes in at the end of the day. Because if you could do this on one, if you could hit your goal on one unit, then great, do it. It could take you 100 units to get what you want to do. So the units are not important. It's the, it's the net income at the end of the day. That's really what you want to focus on. Yeah. And Matt, the whole reason I asked him that question, I know we're getting ready to get off of here, but I just want to make sure everyone knows that um, it takes time to build wealth. And, and I knew without knowing, I, I could just tell Noah was going to have, he, he, he thought this through and he was realistic in knowing that this could take 10 years. So what my best advice for everybody that's listening is what year are you going to start your journey? What's going to be, what year is going to be your first year of the next 10 that's going to be needed to build your wealth? Was it last year? For Noah, it was three years ago. For a lot of people, it's they're still thinking about starting, okay? But I think he gives us a good little basis, a little formula on how to figure this out, stretch it over 10 years. I hear that often. That's kind of how I look at things. I do 10 in five years, and you know, because sometimes I forget what 10 years. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm be alive in 10 years. So I think of five years sometimes. So, uh, but anyways, I wanted that to come out. So I appreciate you playing the game, Noah. Can I, can I give you just some statistics? So. The um, a lot of people feel like they have to have a certain amount of money in the bank in order to retire. Right. And the typical age that people are, are, are saying retire is, is 65 years old and 65 years old. I need to have money in the bank and I'm going to retire. Problem is, nobody really ever has a plan. Realistically, the reason people think they need to have a certain amount of money in the bank is because they need that money to fund the next tw- 15, 20, 30 years of their life without without a job. But the reason why we call it wealth is because theoretically you can have zero dollars in the bank and retire, if you will, because you'll have enough passive income to fund your expenses. You don't necessarily need to touch the money in the bank. So here's some interesting statistics. I don't know where these came from. I also don't know if they're true, um, but I'm going to read them anyway because they're interesting. <laughs> so, so just that with that's, <laughs> yeah, that was the best disclosure I've ever heard. I mean, yes, I'm like, yes. I can't wait to hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so I preface it with the age of 65 is what the stats for when people typically retire. So I don't know where the study was done, but I thought these were interesting. So by the time people were 65, 36% of the people were dead, meaning 36% of people never make it to their 65th birthday, right? So they're they're planning on all this stuff for retirement. They never make it to their, their 65th birthday, 36% of the people. 54% of people were still living on family support or government support, so they couldn't retire, right? They couldn't retire by the time they were 65. 5% of the people were still working because they had to. So, again, those people couldn't retire either. They wanted to retire at 65, but they couldn't. They didn't save enough money. They didn't have a plan. They didn't prepare for this enough. 4% of the people were well off by the time they were 65 so they could retire. And 1% of the people were wealthy by the time they were 65. And I thought that was interesting statistics. Let's assume it's true. Um, The reason why I thought it was interesting is because everybody talks about retirement and 65 years old or whatever the age is. But like you said, Greg, when are you going to start on that plan? What is your plan? When are you going to take the steps? And are you going to stick to that for the next 20, 30, 40 years, however however old you are, 
consistently every single year. So when you get to that point, you have a plan, you stuck to it and you've actually done it. And, and like, it has to start right away. You have to come up with your plan. You have to start it right away and you have to focus on it all the time. That's awesome. Love it. <laughs> well, no, let's, uh, let's finish out with this. What's the best way for people to uh, do a couple of things? So number one, connect with you personally. Uh, and number two, to uh, send referrals to your team slash brokerage slash if they want to maybe work for you. <laughs> What's the best way to connect? Sounds good. So our brokerage is KW Philly, Keller Williams Philly. We're out of Philadelphia. Um, if you want to email me, you can email me at Noah at phillyliving.com. Our team is Philly Living. We're out of Philadelphia. So uh, I would love to connect with whoever's listening. Hopefully you have some listeners in this thing. Maybe yeah. Get some emails. Uh, I agree. That'd be awesome. Uh, and for, for both referrals, and if there, there's anybody in the Philly area that uh, that is an agent, definitely talk to you about joining the team because you guys are, are rock and rolling, sounds like. And then, Greg, same question for you. What's the best way to reach out to you for the same things? You know, just uh, go to Facebook and hit me up on Facebook Messenger. The quickest way, easiest way to connect with me. Send me a question if I can do anything for you. Excellent. And then if anybody's uh, for the show itself, you can go to the levelupodcast.com. You can check us out on YouTube as well for the video versions. You can grab the audio versions on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Uh, make sure to leave us a uh, five-star rating and review. And if there was a particular guest episode you enjoyed, give the guest a shout out in the rating, uh, in the in, in the little testimonial review. Like if you like Noah's episode, you know, tell us in the review what you liked about Noah and what he had to say uh, and thank him for his time and his contribution. So, with that being said, everybody, appreciate you watching live. There's a ton of people that jumped on and off throughout the uh, the show, just kind of soaking up the content, uh, dipping in and out. So we want to thank you for doing that. If you guys have specific questions, remember, you can always pop those into the comment section on Facebook. Uh, and Noah, just again, want to thank you for your time and contribution. That was an insanely, like, really good in-depth episode that I know people got a ton of value of. So we, uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. It was fun. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys, everybody on the live audience. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.